hello and a warm. They just get a welcome to my guest today, Mr. Mrs. Mrs. Kate McKenzie. How are you, Kate? I'm great. Thanks, Tyler. How are you? I am really good. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, classic small town Calgary strikes again. I had the privilege of interviewing with your husband on my other podcast, Collisions YYC, and and in, and in, not even in that incident, but through another good friend of mine, Mr. Kevin Crow. I brought up your husband's name, and he goes, "Well, yeah, but if you met Kate, I was like, well, no, tell me more." And he shared <laughs> some really cool things about your background and some of the things you'd have, you've you've done and accomplished, which I really would like to chat with you about today. But I'm going to introduce you to as founder and director at Worldview Productions, and also manager. At ATBX. So rather than me try to unpack it, I'll maybe turn it back over to give us a little bit of backstory on, on kind of those, those two roles, or at least two of the many hats I'm sure you wear in your life, and we'll kind of unfold the story from there. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, big shout out to, to my partner, Lior. Uh, you know, definitely check out his podcast as well, because, yeah, I'm very, I'm very blessed that I get to walk through life with someone who supports me all the way along. And I think you know, so few people get that privilege, and I I really value it. Uh, and right now, as a new mom, I value it even more. <laughs> trying to do this together with someone makes all the things that I do possible, right? And I wouldn't be able to do any of these things if it wasn't for for him and for my family that su- has supported me all the way along. I, I know everyone says that, but it's actually true. <laughs> you know? like, we, we wouldn't get anywhere without, without the people that believe in us and the people that thought that the crazy ideas we put out there were worth believing in, right? And for me, that's definitely been the case. I, I started Worldviews Productions, you know, at stepping away from a solid job as a junior high teacher here in Calgary. I was getting a paycheck every single, you know, month. And I chose to walk away from that and to try to be an artist full time to launch a production company at a time where there weren't really a lot of supports for, you know, small business or creating a business in general. Those just didn't exist when I started mine. And, and so, you know, I think the support that you get from the people around you is so huge. And even, you know, the chance to be able to lead businesses now with ATBX, you know, it's a, a we create this accelerator experience for businesses that are in a growth stage. And each of those businesses trust me and trust our team to be able to move forward. And you know, that's a huge privilege as well. But, you know, for me to be able to be in this role meant us moving from Toronto back to, to Calgary, driving in a U-Haul all the way across the country. So there's been a lot of faith, faith in U-Hauls, faith in, uh, you know, doing what you're passionate about and taking taking those kinds of leaps. And I definitely, I've been supported uh, at every stage by my partner in making that happen. Which I, I really appreciate. I'm built to, I'm very fortunate to have a similar partner in my life and it makes all the difference in, in the world. So curious, a few things. Oh, you, you gave me so much to, to work with. So junior high school teacher, uh, when did you start World Let's get some timelines here just to give everybody a little. How many, for how long had you been a junior high school teacher? Just think talks about first, maybe first stage or one of the stages of your journey. Absolutely. So I actually taught for seven years. And you know, while I was teaching, I always had sort of something that was on the side. I think any entrepreneur can relate to this, right? We have our side hustles. <laughs> and for yes. me, that I love was, how popular that term right? has become in the last couple of years, too. That was, you know, I, I joke, and I think maybe you and I even talked when we were having our first call. You told someone you wanted to be an entrepreneur 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. They looked at you like it was almost you had to go to a remedial class and, you know, get recorrected on your path to not do that. It's I love how it's become so much more popular. And I guess, like, back to what you said earlier, there's a lot more support for people to take that risk and to follow their passion than there was before. But I think that's just a nice underpinning. Everyone I talk to now, it's so encouraged. If you don't have a side hustle, it's almost it's almost more out of the norm now, <laughs> which 10 years ago, I don't think that was the, as, as much the case as it is now. Mm. Absolutely. And you know, for me, my side hustle had always been doing art. And you know, so I was taking commissions for various uh, projects and working on those pieces, either as an illustrator or a painter or digital media pieces, right? And and was always kind of just doing that off the side of my desk while I was a teacher. And I, I loved teaching. And, but every single year when I was teaching, one of my students would raise their hand and they would ask me a question, usually directly after we just finished going through current events and hearing about the news of the world. They would say, you know, but why does the world suck? And 
It's a fair question. <laughs> it is a fair question. When, when what you're being fed consistently is that storyline, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I was teaching in the northeast of Calgary, a very uh, diverse, both religiously, ethnically, culturally diverse school. And a lot of my students said, you know, not only do we hear so much negative news, but the news we do hear often when there's someone that looks like us in the news, then, you know, it's a story about war or poverty or terrorism or whichever. Right? And I thought, this is actually really awful. Like this next generation of students, what they're saying is that the, the world that they see is a negative world. And beyond that, when they see someone that looks like them, it it's also negative. So how can they possibly picture a, a brighter future for themselves? Or how can they possibly imagine what it might be like to have a different kind of world if this is this is the one that they're seeing? And I looked around me and I saw amazing people doing incredible things. And I thought, I know someone that looks like you or I know someone that's from the same country you're from or from the same religion as you're from that's doing something absolutely incredible to solve some of these these major world problems we see. But but my students weren't seeing those stories. And so I started kind of thinking in my head, well, how could I share these stories? I come from a long line of storytellers with uh, my heritage is is Scottish, and so we have a very strong storytelling culture. And I thought, what if what would that look like to combine that storytelling and this visual piece together? And I thought, well, that sounds like film. And so I invited local filmmaker Chris Chung uh, to come in and be our artist in residence, and he taught me and my students all about film. I really learned about film alongside <laughs> of a bunch of junior high students, and we created 18 films together, just short pieces about inspiring Calgarians that were doing amazing things to make our community better. And each student picked their own topic, right? Some were talking about uh, mental health. Some were talking about, you know, what what was happening for accessibility issues or poverty or, you know, even what were happening with our pets, right? It was whatever topic they cared about. And we were looking at the issues there. And, you know, that just sparked for me, well, what would this look like if I was doing this full time? What would this look like if I could tell these kinds of stories on the regular? And so in 2012, I actually took a big leap and I took a leave of absence from my job and decided that I was going to travel around the country, nine countries in seven months, and be able to find some of these stories of people doing inspiring things to make our world better. And so I ended up going to Colombia, Uganda, Rwanda, Vietnam, India, Pakistan, Iran, Israel, and Italy, all places that at that time were in the news, not for positive reasons, but for for negative reasons, whether it was due to their economy or due to issues around drugs or war or whichever, poverty, right? And yet in every single place I was finding these incredible stories. And I thought really it was just going to be like my classroom of students watching these films and my mom. <laughs> you know, I didn't think we anyone always else. Have, we always can rely on our mom as the audience. I, I love when you think about what you were trying to do was show your students an example of, you know, versus the media portrayal of people like me are portrayed in these negative settings, where at the same time, your own experience, you got to, you know, what would it be like if I did this full time? I just love how that's such an interesting role of being a teacher is because to teach is to learn and to you know to think about that experience of you also saw what was possible for your own life through showing them what was possible like what an amazing gift that you guys gave each other that's so that's so powerful i love it well you know it's interesting i think sometimes you don't know when inspiration is going to strike right and <laughs> i i look back and i think i certainly didn't i always wanted to travel around the world but i certainly didn't think i would be doing it uh, you know, as a filmmaker trying to capture stories. And let's be totally honest, I bit off way more than I could choose. I was trying to like share these stories from places where I couldn't even get a Wi-Fi signal. You know, this is back in 2012. Like it meant that for me to share these stories, I was going to the internet cafe that was like super dodgy, and, like, trying to upload something. I'm, I'm picturing, you know, I've traveled to some of the countries you yeah. mentioned and just checking your email, no, let alone trying to upload files or share a story, or you're almost like a, 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 playing the role of the war correspondent in in, the, in these areas where you don't have the same infrastructure as we have here. And and but I love the idea of traveling with a different intent. Like when you when you go on vacation, that's one thing. But you were traveling to discover. You were traveling with your eyes open to stories and to meeting and to having human experiences like that alone kind of sets a very different path in place with that intention going in absolutely because you're looking then for the positive right yeah. and 
I had a very wise person. I, I've often had a, a fear of creepy crawly things in my life. And, you know, some of those countries that I just mentioned, there are a lot of creepy crawlies. <laughs> yes, there are. Yeah. Absolutely. In, 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 Alberta, in, in, in Canada, or in these winter climates, we get spoiled. We don't have to worry as much about checking your shoes before you leave the house. <laughs> yes. Yes. You don't have to turn everything inside out and dump it all out and all that kind of jazz, right? But I knew I had to figure out how to get past this. And, you know, she said to me, you know, Kate, you're going to find what you're looking for. So if you look for the spiders, if you look for the cockroaches, you're going to see more of them. But if you stop looking for them, you're not going to see them anymore. And I think that that's, that has played true for me in so many other aspects of my life. If you What you look for, you will find more of. And so having that intention to go and look for people that were innovators, looking for people that had an inspiring story to share, made you open to the idea that actually anyone you met could be that person. And anywhere you went, you could find it, right? And I think it absolutely was such an incredible experience because I it allowed me to see the world through such a different lens. And for me, that's been hugely important because I need these kinds of stories. So I'm, you know, I'm someone that has dealt with mental health issues for, for most of my life. And, you know, if I don't take that lens, if I don't truly believe that there could be those kinds of stories out there, it really gets to just be way too much because it's my default isn't necessarily to look for the positive. My default is often that the negative just piles on and piles on until it feels like this backpack just like weighed down with heavy stones that you just you don't even want to get out of bed in the morning because it's just too much to think about trying to lift and put that backpack back on, you know. And so I need these stories. And I found out that yeah, a lot of other people did too. It wasn't just my students. It wasn't just my family. Other people started gravitating towards hearing these these stories of hope. I'm curious. I really thank you for being so honest about some of the challenges. And I think we can all, we're also coming out of a 14, 15 months of COVID where, you know, I think mental health, unfortunately, was something that wasn't talked about as a consequence through a lot of what's happening. And just, so I'm curious, as you started down the path, was it a deliberate, I'm going to choose to go and look for these positive stories and therefore positively impact my mental health? Or was it, did it kind of start happening and then you started realizing the positive? I'm just curious where, because sometimes we stumble into things, like you said, inspiration can show up in strange places. Uh, you often, and it's usually a surprise, true inspiration is a surprise. Was that a conscious decision of I'm going to fill my life with these things, so therefore to help get my, help work through these challenges? Or was it a bit of a, of a secondary benefit that showed up as you were on that journey? I think it's always been a little bit of both. I mean, okay. for me and my mental health journey, I really truly believe that you know, just because I have dealt with mental health issues does not mean that that is a life sentence. It doesn't mean that I am going to have a negative or terrible life. It means that this is this is my challenge. This is the obstacle that I need to overcome. And some days it's harder than other days, right? And for me, um, this is something that I will likely deal with for most of my life. And but that means that. I need to have tools in my toolkit that help me to be able to get through the hard days or the hard weeks or the hard months, depending on what that looks like for me, right? And so I've had to put things into that toolkit really purposefully. And one of the things that I put in is having positive inputs in my life. You know, if the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is hear a whole bunch of negativity, that makes it a lot harder for me to do my day. That doesn't mean I'm not an informed citizen. That doesn't mean that I don't you know, make sure I know what's happening in the world, but I can choose to change how I start my day. And so that means, yeah, I have to do a workout when I first wake up. And I don't like doing it. Nobody likes waking up early. But you always and, like it when it's done. You always, yes, like, I very yes. seldom work out and then look back and wish I hadn't done it. You know what I absolutely, mean? Like, but absolutely. It's, ma- it's making that choice. My business partner who's... Uh, much more on the creative side. He, sometimes I remember just being in business, I'd call the child about something that was going on. He's like, you know what? Respectfully, I can't talk about this right now. I have to protect my creativity. And it always stuck with me. as like, he had to create that space. And he goes, if you talk to me about payroll challenges or like those things, he goes, it'll really cloud my mind in the fact that I can't be in the creative space I need to. And I always was really impressed of his own self-awareness to be able to call that out and to be okay. And we had the relationship where you have the trust. So, hey, like, don't take this the wrong way, but, and I need to protect my creativity. And I hear that come 
coming out loud and clear when you talk about protect your, your positivity, but also choose things that you know will result in a positive, even hormonal chemical shift in your body like fitness. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think I love that example that you just shared because I think it's so true. But the more that you know yourself and you know how you might respond in a given situation, then you start to develop more tools. Like I know that for me, if I can have challenging conversations you know, that I think might include some conflict or whatever, if I can do that in the morning, I'm going to be able to handle it in a much better way. And I'm not going to carry that into my sleep, right? That's not going to keep me up and keep me, you know, dwelling on that over and over and over again, right? And so I think, I think, you know, you start to put these things into your toolkit. And, but then too, as you do more of it, so as I was purposefully looking for these positive stories all the way around the world, you then you've just got more and more examples and you see other people that are choosing to be hopeful despite the difficult and you see examples of resiliency and that shows you that, okay, yeah, so maybe my day was a little bit challenging, but guess what? This other person had a way more challenging day than me and they managed to get through it. And and that kind of buoys your spirit a little bit, right? It just lifts you up to think, okay, this is possible. And I learned from every single person I interviewed more little strategies, more little things that would help me to be able to keep being a resilient person because it's not, doesn't mean that you're not going to have hard days. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a hard life. Um, it's that you find ways to find joy in the midst of the struggle. I really appreciate the value of also you went on a quest and you know we live in a world where we have access to as much content that we want to consume but choosing wisely what you do consume but also I think there's something really valuable you said for perspective like oh my day is bad or this isn't going great and then you see the story like the secret marathon which was really hooked me into like I couldn't wait to talk to you it was like wow like my excuses are nil like they're not even valid and I'm not trying to minimize because what's relevant to us is still real but man when you gain perspective of what other people are able to overcome and how they do it with a smile it's hard not to take inspiration from example <laughs> absolutely i think half of what i've learned about you know in my own mental health journey has been how do i get out of my own head and for me a yeah. big part of that is choosing to help other people and to be of service and you know of course you need to be able to make sure that you manage your boundaries like like your business partner was saying earlier i think that's yes. amazing you know um but it's it's trying to look for ways that you can be of service. And for me, I can be of service by helping to share and amplify other people's stories and to help us all kind of collectively imagine what a different world looks like, right? And, you know, I think my journey into being an entrepreneur and sharing, you know, stories through film and through other ways has has allowed that that imagination to be sparked, you know, not just for me, but for the others that I share that with. And I think, yeah, that's as any entrepreneur knows, though, it, it is hard when I first start out to do this. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Like I was, you know, I was so lucky that some people took me under their wing and kind of gave me a little bit of guidance like Chris and others along the way that, you know, helped to guide me and and the people that I could just text or phone and say, hey, uh, oh, no, this is happening. I don't know how to deal with it. Right. And. And it's not all peachy. Like I found for me, like I, I remember being at a point where I was like, okay, like I've got to be able to make, you know, pay the bills here and be able to make some money doing what I'm doing. And, and it's just not all coming together. So I was like teaching paint night classes in Calgary. <laughs> I taught over a thousand people how to paint because that was what I needed to do so that I could do the work that I loved, which was sharing these stories. And, you know, it turned out that teaching all these people to paint also was a lesson in of itself because you, know, you have all these people come into a into a pub usually and you're teaching them how to paint a rose or waterfall or whatever it's going to be that week. Right. And so many people had so many hang ups about even just starting because they wanted it to be perfect. Yeah. And, you know, it made me realize even in my own work, just the need to be able to get things out there rather than holding it back until it was absolutely perfect. And and it's been one of the most freeing lessons I've learned as an artist is to kind of let go of some of that stuff, right? But that that means that, yeah, sometimes I, I need to give myself a little bit of grace to say, oh, wow, like I didn't know what I was getting into when I started that project. And that is definitely true of our film, The Secret Marathon. I had no idea what I was getting into with that. And, you know, ha you know someone asked me the question recently, said, if you had known it was going to take five years to get this film out, if you had known everything you would have to go through mentally, physically, emotionally, would you still have done it? I'm like, 
I don't know. <laughs> that, it, it, it's such an unfair question. And like, if you know what you know now, would you do it over again? It's because everything you learned is what got you to the where you are sitting at that moment when to be asked that question. Absolutely. And it, it's, I was reading something about leadership to the day and they talked about, you know, sometimes founders, entrepreneurs get that imposter syndrome of a company grows to a certain size. And they said, well, hey, just remember anyone else who grew a company, who, who took over at that size, got there somehow. And it kind of sets you up along the way and learns and teaches you. And it's a constantly a step of feeling like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, I think I know what I'm doing. Oh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and like making that okay and to normalize that, I think our society sometimes glamorizes the Hollywood version of arrived, which is just not true. It is, but just for a split moment and then something comes around the corner and makes you feel like you have not arrived at all. Oh, Absolutely. Speaking yeah, of storytelling, I think we've been, we've been given a lot of stories sometimes that don't really bake in the reality. <laughs> Too much one-track storytelling. You know, the un, the un, the unwavering hero or, or, or villain for that matter. That's just not how humans are. We're much more complicated than that. <laughs> I think so too. And, you know, I think in all of the stories that I share, I hope that I bring out, you know, the, the sides that are the challenges because I think, you know, and it's part of what why I've chosen to share more about my own mental health journey was that, you know, I, I was given the privilege to be able to share a little bit about that journey around the world, but, um, through a Ted talk and, you know, I was asked to share about all of these inspiring things I'd learned. And, you know, the coach that I was working with at the time, AJ Demers, he said to me, he's like, this is great, but like, there's a piece missing. <laughs> you need to share your own struggle because otherwise, like, if you don't, I mean, everyone knows this story. Everyone knows that if you, if you, if I tell you that, you know, I had a wonderful day, I walked out of the door, the birds were chirping, the sun was shining, everything was perfect, right? That's not a story. And frankly, no one can relate <laughs> no, to it. You know, the story comes through, the challenge comes through the conflict. And, you know, AJ was saying to me, you know, where's the conflict here, Kate? And I said, yeah, but I don't know if I'm ready to share this. Like the conflict is, is that I'm sharing positive stories, but I'm not necessarily a positive person. <laughs> I'm dealing with all of this like negativity that I have to break through every time I want to share because I wanted it to be perfect. And I was trapped in that space, just like my students at the paint nights were, where they wanted to put out this perfect version. I think all of us want to put out this like this perfect version of ourselves and it's not real. You know, and, so, and like people don't relate to that. They relate to no, they the don't. hurt, You're you know, so and I think... It's funny what we think yeah. we want to portray, but then what is like... My business partner, again, he's got great wisdom. He goes, you know, we wait to trust to become, to be vulnerable, but the second we're vulnerable, we immediately create trust. And it kind of sounds a little bit like what we're talking about here. So yeah. curious, when you were getting pretty... It's funny, I know AJ, I haven't seen AJ for years, but it's funny that you bring him up. He's a, uh, you bring back some more memories. Uh, mm, so when you yeah. were, were getting to the point of doing the TED Talk, was that also the first time that you opened up publicly about mental Oh, interesting. So that yes. all came together so on I the TED Stage. I do not stage. recommend this. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't try do not it try the, Wow, yeah, that's a do powerful. Do not share your mental health um, journey for the first time in front of 2,000 people live. On the that's, TED Stage, no less, which I'm sorry, that carries a lot of weight for me. Like, so amazing that you did that. I, I love it on every level. Do you Good know, for you. Oh, wow. Okay, that, that's super real. <laughs> it, it was, but but I felt like, to me, the most important thing was that people understood the power of sharing positive stories, the power of positive news, and that the, the difference it can make, you know, not just for the people that I was sharing the stories of, but of for ourselves. And I couldn't actually share that if I didn't talk about how it changed me, Right. And the importance it had for me. And if, if everyone, you know, left that day thinking, oh, there, there's that girl who's, you know, glass half full, rose colored glasses, you know, kind of person. Of mm -hmm. course she found all these positive stories, but I could never do that. Then I wouldn't have achieved my goal, you know? Showing the art, because you lived it. It was your journey. Well, talk a little bit about, you know, again, I, you've, I, I have not had the chance to see all your films. I've watched a lot of the, the short versions of the Secret Marathon and just kind of really inspired about that and what you've done with it afterwards. So maybe if you want to tell a little bit about, you know, the, that one specific one, and obviously it feels like it was the most, uh, like you said, if you look back, the, fi the five-year journey, but maybe tell share a little bit with the audience about it and kind of what, I can only imagine the amazing revelations that kept occurring over that long period of time. <laughs> Absolutely. So I first heard about this story through Martin Parnell, who is in his own rights an amazing uh, individual. So Martin, I was reading his book, actually, because he wrote a story about uh, 
running 250 marathons in one year. So <laughs> imagine five marathons a week, you know, no big deal. Uh, Martin, My body hurts just hearing you say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> right? He, he only started running when he was 47. You know, by the time I met him, he was in his 60s. And you know, so this isn't someone that you know, was running his whole life or was, you know, some sort of former Olympian or whatever, right? He's an average guy. And he discovered running and was using running as a way to be able to raise uh, money for charity and specifically for children's charities. And I just thought, this guy was incredible. I saw him at this event, saw him standing across the way, and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the author of the book that I've been reading. You know, had a total fangirl moment. And, <laughs> but, you know, you don't know how it's going to be when you meet someone that you think is so inspiring. Like, what if your whole bubbles burst and they're an awful human? Which, unfortunately, there's a, yeah, there, that's all, that sometimes can be the case. <laughs> right? But Martin was legit, sweetest, wonderful person. And so walked over and we started chatting, and he said, you know, I'm I'm actually looking for a filmmaker. And I was like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> and so we started chatting. He shared this story that he'd read in the Guardian newspaper about a young woman named Zanab. And Zanab uh, was the first Afghan woman to run a marathon in Afghanistan. And, you know, but when she was trying to train outside, she couldn't. She had people, when she would just go for a run, people were throwing rocks at her. They were insulting her, calling her a prostitute. She was even getting threats on her cell phone uh, from terrorist organizations, threatening herself and her family just for going out for a run. And, you know, for me, I, I'm a runner, but I think that if people were throwing rocks at me, you know, that would be it, like let alone all the other things that, that Zainab experienced. And, but for her, she didn't, that, she didn't let that stop her. She chose to keep training for the marathon because she saw this as so much bigger than being about a run. She saw it really as being an opportunity to talk about uh, gender equality and for women to be able to be out in public, to have the space to, to move their bodies and do that freely. And so she trained for this first ever marathon in her enclosed garden, an enclosed courtyard area that is really not much larger than the average Calgarian's backyard, right? And I was just captured by this story of this woman. I could picture her, you know, just running in laps, 42.2 kilometers worth of laps to train. Imagine that. And, you know, for most people training for a marathon, it means they run over 800 kilometers worth of training. And doing that in such an enclosed space because you believed in something bigger. You know, I thought that was incredible. And Martin told me, you know, I'm going to go over to Afghanistan and I want to show her that there's other people that support her. I don't want her to feel alone. And that really resonated with me because I thought, here this woman is, she's trying to spark her entire country's imagination. She's trying to say, you know, this is possible. We as women can go for a run. We can be outside. We can have gender equity and at least this one area and that just resonated with me because I didn't want her to feel alone either. And if we could run alongside her to help her know that she was supportive, that somebody believed in her, that someone thought what she was doing was worthwhile, then I wanted to do that. And so that started this crazy plan that Martin and I had to go over to Afghanistan and film the second ever marathon and see, see this for ourselves and join, join these women. What year, and what year was, did this take place? So we went over to Afghanistan in 2016, okay. and that's when we first started filming what we later called the Secret Marathon. And we called it that because everything about this marathon had to be kept a secret. So the organizers asked us not to share with anyone that we were filming because they didn't want uh, us filming to make the participants in the race an undue target for attack. Mm -hmm. And even the race route the location for the race, everything is kept a secret until just before the race. So you you don't really know much before you go over. And you know, this is not typical for filmmaking. Uh, filmmakers usually tell everyone about their project for years and years before they ever even start filming. And we couldn't even make a website. We couldn't tell people what we were doing. You know, we and yet we still had to try to raise funds to be able to to go over there. And you know. I can't say enough good things about there was a local business, Viz Communications, um, James uh, and John, who said, hey, 
we see what you're doing and we want to support what you're doing. Oh, that's they, amazing. So you, they had, gave us you had some money. really good supporters. That's they awesome. did. They did. They were really the ones that stood up and stood behind us and said, yeah, we're going to make this happen. We want you to go over and, and film this story. And so that was absolutely that's incredible. Awesome. Uh, so you you arrived. How long were you? Because in 2016, like Afghanistan, that was a hot, that's a hot zone for sure. Like there was not good things happening there from a, no. from a conflict perspective. And certainly, so, so I want to be very careful of my own ignorance. I see what I get portrayed on television, what in media I've not been during that time frame. But it certainly didn't didn't. It probably was. I think was it even on the Canadian recommendation of like no travel zone? Like that was not a place in the world that you were. We were encouraged to go as Canadians. Yeah. So. It was on the do not travel advisory, and that means that the time that you can go over there is quite limited, especially if you're not a member of uh, Canada's Armed Forces or you're not there specifically with a charitable organization providing aid, right? And neither – we fit into neither of those categories. Um, and so we were there on a very short travel visa, the longest that we could get to go over, and, yeah, we had to get insurance for basically everything. I felt, you know, so privileged that I had two guys, Colin and Liam, that came with me because, you know, their families, too, had to put trust in me to say, yeah, you'll keep you'll keep these two safe. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. something behind the scenes people don't always see. Right. Is that, you know, sharing these kinds of stories comes at a huge weight and a huge burden for the families that are behind these folks. Right. Um even my own family, they they were worried about me. They were worried about, you know, what would happen if I was kidnapped or what would happen if, you know, I stepped on a landmine or any of these things, which, of course. Really, you know, could have happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, when we got over to Afghanistan, it was absolutely incredible. The It's beautiful. The, the mountains, purples and pinks and golds, just absolutely breathtaking landscape. Mm-hmm. And the people were so hospitable, probably the most hospitable people I've met in anywhere that I've traveled to. People welcoming us into their homes for tea, you know, even if that meant that they would have to walk several kilometers to go get more water just so they could offer us tea, they would do it. They didn't even think twice about, Hmm. you know, offering us tea. I don't know, Tyler, about you, but if you were coming over to my house, I don't know if I'd walk several kilometers just to make your tea. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to choose to take that personally. I completely understand. Like, it's like when you're going over to someone's house, you're like, oh, do you want me to pick anything up? You're like, you kind of secretly hope they say no. <laughs> and you're driving. I'm sorry, that sounds terrible, but it, it's like sometimes I process, I'm like, I don't really want to go in a Safeway. It's such a hassle. <laughs> So, yes, point taken, Kate, point taken. (laughs) Just unbelievable hospitality. But, you know, I think I've seen this in so many places that I've traveled where, you know, people said to me, you know, we are not our government. We, you know, and what you see on the news is not all there is to see. And that's what we wanted to capture with the Secret Marathon film was not just to capture the marathon, uh, which is, is amazing and not just to capture these incredible and inspiring women that were running in the first ever marathon, but also to show a different side of this country because, you know, I would really love to see the day when, when one day everyone can go to Afghanistan. It's not really a big deal. You know, back in the seventies, this was, it was a huge thing and people were able to, to go and see the beautiful Hindu Kush Valley and to be able to see, you know, a country that was once at the heart of the Silk Road, um, spice trade and markets and you know and now you know we don't get to see all of that and that's it's a shame because it's a it's an amazing country no and back to your original point around you know what we do get portrayed in western world is we get fed by what we get fed by the media and then you know social media or what what whatever and it oftentimes is, gl- is glamorizing the negative because let's be honest it makes you look <laughs> you know as humans we have a propensity to want to be aware of danger so it draws us in faster than the good story but you know there's so many parts of the world now you mentioned vietnam earlier where you know not that many years ago it, you know was a war zone and now when you travel there it's a amazing in the culture and it's one of the first places I traveled when I really dove into you're not in Kansas anymore kind of mindset and you know having grown up watching Vietnam films that that portrayed it in a certain way and then going there you're like oh this is nothing like all those movies I watched when I was 12 <laughs> but that's where you get your belief structures and that's so it's so dangerous <laughs> if you don't take the time to search out stories like well uh, thankfully someone like yourself goes and curates this information and brings and brings it back because it's not always accessible to the, to the average individual mm-hmm. I- 
Yeah, I think I think it is very important, and, and I certainly hats off to all of the journalists and the filmmakers who do this for us all around the world. And but I also think that it is possible, especially we're very lucky as Canadians that oftentimes it just means being able to say hello to our neighbors and to hear their stories. And oftentimes we would be able to, I think, learn so much more and be so much more empathetic if we just had the courage to take, you know, a step and cross the street to meet somebody. I don't think we necessarily have to go <laughs> all around the globe. And I think they're both equally change, scary. Change starts at home. And yeah, no, absolutely. There's, I, you know, there's, I, there's a lesson there. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that the same, some of the same courage it takes to go and do these things that, you know, seem really big is the same courage it takes to just actually meet your neighbors. And, <laughs> you know, I, I feel, I still feel that I try to meet my neighbors. Um, whenever there's a new neighbor, I am super cheesy. I grew up in a small town, so I go over and I take them cookies <laughs> during COVID. That's awesome. I, no, I love it. I grew up in a small town as well, so that's not lost on me at all. Again. <laughs> during COVID, I haven't been able to like take them like freshly baked cookies, but I send them like little like Pillsbury cookies in the tube kind of a thing so yep. they can make their own cookies, right? Um, yes, but, so you, I appreciate you adapting to the times we live in. <laughs> I try, I try, but you know what? And, and it's, yeah, every time I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm weird and crazy and I'm going to be the crazy neighbor. But I'm like, you know what? At least they're going to know they're welcome in our neighborhood. At least mm-hmm. there's that, you know? And it sparked some amazing friendships and some amazing conversations just just doing that, right? So, yeah, that's, that's I my think it's powerful what you said. What you said, though, you know, the story we tell in our head about what it's going to be like or what the outcome is, we have to be so careful with that. Back to your choice around like choosing to see positive versus allowing the negative backpack to build up. But that story we tell, you know, also something to be very, very um, deliberate about because we can tell, we can, we, we can hallucinate. Like we can tell some really good yarns to ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think you know. I learned so much about that while we were working on the Secret Marathon film because part of choosing to make that film, I realized I really couldn't share that story if I wasn't, if I didn't know what it was like to run a marathon. There was no way that I was going to be able to capture, uh, you know, what it felt like for these women who were then doing all of these other things on top of it. So, you know, my first ever marathon was in Afghanistan. So I trained, That's I had, you know, Martin was coaching me, I was getting ready for it. But so much of that was not about whether or not I could run the 800 kilometers on my feet. My feet would do the work. I just had to keep putting one in front of the other. It was more the mental journey of, you know, being able to get past that negative self-talk that you're saying or past the stories that we tell ourselves of, I don't know that I can do this, Right. But what I found was, and now there's so much research that can back this up too, is that, you know, when you run and you run for that long, (laughs) that's an amazing ability to clear your head and to become quite meditative. And so I found for myself that, you know, running, especially if I could run for an hour, which I know is a ridiculous long time. And before training for this, I thought it was like insane that anyone would run for more than an hour. But I now know that it actually changes, you know, the composition in my body. It changes my hormones. It changes my mood. It elevates those things. And, you know, it's been a huge part, a huge tool in my toolkit to staying mentally well. Um, You know, and so now I look at that and I think, you know, I want to make sure that every woman, regardless of where she lives in the world, has the opportunity to go for a run. Because for me, it's so fundamentally important to my mental health. Uh, But I also believe that it's, it's so important that women have the opportunity to feel safe to go for a run outside and, and not just women. I think, you know, when we came back from Afghanistan, we could finally share the story. I had a lot of people that said to me, you know, Kate, actually, I relate to what these women have gone through because I don't always feel safe to go for a run in my own neighborhood. And there was people that were telling me that that because, you know, they were women and they felt maybe you know, concerned about going for a run late at night uh, or in the dark or whichever. But I also had people from the queer community and I had people of color who were saying, you know, here's places I don't feel safe to go for a run or there's been violence in this neighborhood, so I don't feel safe to go for a run. Or if I'm dressed in a certain way, I don't feel safe to go for a run. And I just thought that is insane. Like we live in one of the safest countries in the world and yet people still don't feel safe. And so it it sparked this idea again, sort of coming back to how do we change people's perception? How do we like create at least on one night, one day of the year, something that is different? 
Um, and so I had this idea sort of what what if we could take inspiration from what we saw that worked in Afghanistan, right? We saw that, you know, by creating this safe race, they were helping to create a safer place. They were changing people's perceptions of Afghanistan. They were changing what was possible for women because, you know, Zanab was the first woman to run there, you know, back in 2015. But the year we went, six women ran the marathon. Every year after that, it kept doubling. Now, in this past year, 40% of the participants were women. This is incredible, right? It's just it's that ripple effect, right? And I thought, well, why couldn't we do that here in Canada? And so, you know, I had the privilege of meeting John Stanton, the founder of Running Room, and we started chatting about it. And I said, you know, I'm thinking, John, like, maybe could we do something like on International Women's Day and, you know, one night of the year, just kind of do this, like this run and talk about everyone having the right to go for a run or a walk and to feel safe and inclusive in their community to do so. And John was like, I love it. Let's do it in 10 cities all across Canada, yeah, all on it. the same day. And this was how the Secret 3K was born. We created this three-kilometer run walk that is held every year during International Women's Week. This upcoming year, it'll be on March 2nd in 2022. And, awesome. you know, it's a chance for people to come together and say, we want a different kind of world. And we've had so many people that have watched the Secret Marathon film and they've been inspired. And they said, this is incredible what Zainab and these other Afghan women are doing to change to change things. And I want to do something. And now we have a way that they can. They can be part of this Secret 3K. They can come and not just change things for people in Afghanistan. We we have through the race, we give a third of our race fee goes towards charities that are working in Afghanistan, but also charities working around the world here in Canada as well to help create safer and more inclusive spaces. And I've heard from now so many Canadians who said, this was my first time running at night, or this was my first three kilometer run. This was the first time I felt safe as someone who was overweight to go for a run and to do it in public. Or this was the first time I felt safe to go out for a run at night with my kids and to talk about what gender equality means. And so it's been absolutely incredible to see that, you know, by just creating a space, people are able to find their own kind of freedom and they're able to find what they need out of it. And and I think that's probably the biggest gift in many ways that that working on this film has has given is that. In many respects, I think the Secret 3K may long outlast the film. We've you know, now had people participate in the Secret 3K in 24 countries around the world, um, and, peop- and it just keeps growing. And I'm looking forward to having even more people participate in this upcoming March because it truly has become a movement for equality. So powerful to, you know, one, I just kudos, I love right back to our beginning comments about storytelling and the ability to inspire to action. And sometimes I think we've all seen movies where it's like, oh, you're kind of revved up after, but there's no next step. There's like, what do I do with this? So I love just logistically how you kind of said, well, let's, let's create something. Let's put it there. And the comment that it can outlive and become its own movement, literally, figuratively, <laughs> metaphorically ar- around that. But I think it's so good to bring to the reality, even for me, sitting here as a white male who doesn't necessarily have the concerns about going for a run in, in, in XYZ neighborhood, and I don't live in that world. So sometimes it's easy to forget that it still exists. And I think that valuable perspective right back from showing your students that there's other versions in the world, I think it's good on all fronts, even when you don't see that there might be people that, might, that are being marginalized or minimized or held back in some way, that it still exists even in this amazing country that we live in. And to me, that's I'm just taking that message of how powerful it is that just because it's not your story doesn't mean it's not your neighbor, back to your neighbor's story. And what they're going through and back to empathy and understanding and being able to bring something together where everyone has permission, whatever that means in, in their world and then ignites conversation. Uh, I, I love it because you're right. Just, you know, we live in Canada and it is amazing, but we can still do better. <laughs> and I think that that is a really nice perspective in a very positive way, rather than being critical of it, create something that just is positive and let it fill the space. So I'm just sharing my own kind of unpacking as I'm hearing you tell the journey and just Absolutely. being respectful of, of how much better we can we can be, and it's not that hard. It's just a series of a few, of a few different choices. Well, I think too, there's this piece that 
is so true within the running community is that we run alongside each other, right? <laughs> and by running alongside, you give each other a little bit more strength, a little bit more umph to keep going. You tell each other jokes and, you know, you can keep going a little bit further than you would be able to otherwise. And I've experienced that so many times when I was in Afghanistan. I had a young man who came alongside me as I was running my first marathon and said, you know, would it be okay if I ran alongside her? I said, yes, please. <laughs> All of a sudden, then time, like all of a sudden, what your brain was focusing on now shifts yes. to something completely different. And yeah, that's amazing. The power. Yes. And it was absolutely incredible. But I think that oftentimes we, we just were missing that one step of just saying, Hey, how can I help? Or would it be okay hmm. if I did this? Right. Um, and I think, so I love his example of him saying, would it be okay if I ran alongside you? You know, he wasn't just assuming it would be helpful. He asked, and that's great. And something we've really tried to do with the Secret Marathon and with the Secret 3K is this isn't a film about Afghans. It's a film that was made with Afghans. So we had worked with mm, Afghan like cultural that. advisors yeah. all the way through. We continue to work with the Afghan you know, community because we want this to be something where we're coming together, we're collaborating together. But I think I think that's true of where whatever we do in our lives. I think about it also with my fellow entrepreneur community. It's part of why I love what I do at ATBX is that I get to work with other entrepreneurs. I had the chance to have someone, you know, take me under their wing and help show me the ropes. And now I have the chance to do that for others. I, I've, I've learned the hard way. I've made so many mistakes. I continue to make mistakes. But if I can pass those lessons on so that someone else doesn't have to blunder through them in quite the same way as I did, then I think that's incredible. And so I think that there's really this opportunity to run alongside each other and to help one another, you know, so that we're all kind of lifting one another up rather than it just being, oh, this is this is my journey and I'm going to figure it all out by myself. I think it's asking, you know, how can we be of service and how can we help those alongside us? I do love the movement that's happening in, in business in general, that there seems to be a movement, and I've been chatting with a lot of entrepreneurs and tech startups, males, female, a large mix, and there seems to be a lot more collaboration happening in that sector than maybe, you know, talking to people that have worked in the resource sector in Alberta for a long time. There was a lot of, you know, keep your cards close and your enemies across the street and you're stealing employees from each other, where I'm, you know, and I'm not saying that was right or wrong, like they were fighting for assets and whether it was buying a piece of land, there was a lot of like collaborative and bringing people around the table to even solve bigger problems maybe wasn't the way. I'm certainly hearing from everyone that there's a much more sense of abundance and that whatever problem you're solving, I've maybe had a version of it, but we're not going after the same prize at the end of it. It's kind of like running together. We're, we're completing the journey together. It's not that I beat you at the end. And I'm, I'm hearing a lot more inclusion that's happening in our ecosystem here, which I think is only positive because in business, there's always somebody that's stepped on something that you don't want to step on. They can say, oh, hey, boy, maybe I'll just maybe just steer over here because you're right. It, it's all new, but yet someone has seen it before. <laughs> and there's a lot of value in that. Absolutely. And I, I really believe that it you know, when we choose to run alongside each other, I think there's so many positive outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. I know for myself, you know, I used to, uh, when I was in university, I played uh, competitive rugby. And I know that our team always played better when we played against stronger competitors. <laughs> and yeah. we played worse when we were playing against a team that wasn't as strong. And I think, I think a lot of people have had that experience in sport, but I think it's true of life as well. And so I think in the business community, having a healthy competition actually in, helps us to up our game. It makes us better at what we do. And you're right. There's so many more opportunities for collaboration. I think you know, one of the biggest mistakes I see business uh, owners do is that they do try to hold all of their cards really close yeah. to their chest. And as a result, they don't get the feedback they need that could be critical to saving them from an, a mistake or that could be critical to helping them really meet the true needs of their customers rather than just what they think it is, right? So, you know, having the courage to ask that question of what, what do people actually want, right? But then I think, too, to, to your point, to say that uh, we can imagine a different kind of future. It doesn't have to be this cutthroat business space. It can be one in which we do work together. It can be one in which we support each other uh, to towards shared goals. And I think that, that is absolutely possible. And, and I believe that for, for Calgary and for Alberta. I, I see the businesses that are making our new economy and they are incredible. And 
I think that we are a, a sense of abundance versus a sense of scarcity. Even when you went yeah. on your journey around the world, you believed that there was an abundant amount of positivity to be found, and not just because you went looking for it, because it is it's it's there. Especially when you you know close your eyes to the creepy crawlies and open your eyes to the positivity, <laughs> abundance, scarcity, scarcity on the creepy crawlies, abundance, abundance on the positivity. Absolutely, Kate. Oh, I love your story. I'm inspired in so in so many ways right now. What's what? Hey, any secret tip? What's the next project? What are you working on? <laughs> well. I right now my my next thing is I just had a little baby girl so she Congratulations. Now, thank you. She's now 8 months old and she's absolutely incredible and I just want to be an amazing mom. I want to do Very cool. You're glowing right now for everyone who can't see you. I can think you can hear it in your voice. You're literally radiating off of my 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 screen here. Well, she's she's pretty incredible human and you know, I want to make sure that that I do well by her and I think a lot of that means figuring out this whole world now for me. What does that mean to be a great mom and to be a leader in the business community? You know what? What does that look like? And and, and I be don't an artist know. and be a storyteller. Yes. And it, the yes. re- the resume has many lines. I appreciate. So, no, so I appreciate that perspective. I'm going to push back to you, Tyler. Please keep interviewing new parents so I can hear how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I can not learn typically from where my questioning goes. To be honest, I'm 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 a new puppy parent, which is completely different. I know, but it's my closest comparison, and it does change the way you see the world around you for sure. It Absolutely. certainly brings endless amounts of joy to your life for sure. But I think it's it's these stories about how people manage transition and how we manage the changes that that life throws our way i think you know this is a positive change and i'm really excited about it um but it's still a change and i think so for me i'm i'm looking forward to this and i'm diving into it and kind of figuring out what what will the next thing be um I'm cooking up some things. I'm sure we'll we'll chat. I don't doubt, Kate. I don't. I don't doubt. I'm going to stay tuned for sure because I don't. Uh, yeah, no, the, the dust does not settle in your, on your path very often. I'm quite sure. <laughs> are you Are you still running? Do you, are you Did you still maintain the running afterwards? Yes. As, yes. as, as a part of your life, that's absolutely. Awesome. So I am now in in the interesting journey of recovering after giving birth and trying to figure out how to run again after that. And. Mm. So thankful to every physiotherapist in Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> it's all like never underestimate. You need a pit crew around you at all times because oh, yeah. there's going to be injuries and there's going to be things to overcome and your body changes over time. Yes. And you just need to keep adapting. It's hey, it's the one body we've got. So yes, stay, stay, stay engaged in it and with it because it'll take you. It'll take you far. <laughs> so that's my, that's my health pitch Absolutely. at the end for health and fitness. But no, that's my my next goal is to be able to run with. I I love the events that are put on by Run Calgary. I think. Uh, Kirsten and her gang do an amazing job there. And so I'm hopeful that I can be in good enough shape that I can do a race with them this fall. Oh, that's awesome. I, it's all about goal. And Calgary does have a very powerful running community. It's a, it's a very tight-knit group for anyone I know that participates. Uh, what's the best way for people to learn more? Is it uh, they want to see the film? They want to yeah. learn more? What's get, Please lay out your myriad of ways of people to connect with you. I imagine there's quite a few from <laughs> ATB to your film business. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, please, you can check us out with the film at The Secret Marathon. You can find us on all the social or go to thesecretmarathon.com. We'd love for more people to see the film uh, or to request a screening for your community. That would be absolutely incredible. Uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn under Catherine McKenzie. And I am always happy to hear from folks that are you know, trying to make their little corner of the world a little bit better. Oh, that's fantastic. Kate, thanks for the wonderful chat today. It was an absolute pleasure. Love what you're doing. Love your story. And just love spending time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.